0: You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men, who will be able to teach others also, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he complete, competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the share, first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything.
1: Thank you, Amos, for reading for us today. My name is Isaac, and I'm one of the pastors here at Willingdon, and today I have the privilege of sharing with you a message entitled, A Family That Disciples. I'd like to begin by asking you a question. Do you have a bucket list, a list of things that you would like to do or accomplish before the end of your life? When people consider a bucket list, some will include things such as traveling the world, pursuing a different career, achieving their ideal weight or physique, Climbing a particular mountain or skydiving. But what do people think about or want to do when they know that they are actually at the end of their life? Spend time with their family, get their financial affairs in order, or perhaps make amends with people they have been in conflict with for years? Are these things they would want to do because they are important to them or because they are concerned about who they are leaving behind? maybe it's because they don't want to leave with regrets. Our text today provides a window into the heart and mind of a man who was in prison, expecting that he was coming to the end of his life. The letter of 2 Timothy was written by Paul, the apostle. Most of the letters in the New Testament were written by him. But this letter is different. It's unique in that it is the final letter that Paul wrote that we have in the New Testament before his death. Paul was a man who was originally feared by Christians. He unrelentingly chased them down and even took pleasure in watching them suffer and even die. He despised Christians. He hated seeing their numbers grow. And he didn't believe in the message they were spreading about the resurrected person of Jesus. But then the risen Jesus got a hold of him. You can read about this story in the book of Acts chapter 9. And for the rest of his life, he lived his, he lived his life passionately for Jesus, traveling the Roman Empire, spreading the message about who Jesus is and what he has done for everyone. The very Jesus he once persecuted became his Savior and Lord. And as a faithful disciple and servant of Jesus for 30-odd years, he was once again in prison for his faith as he had been before. But now, understanding that he would soon be executed for his faith, And so he writes in chapters 4, verses 6 to 8 of this letter, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. This is, is the backdrop of our text. Currently, we are in the third week of a sermon series called Better Together. We are not a crowd, we are family. And a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Ray spoke on how we as a church are to be a spiritual family who loves and cares for one another. This is not a new idea. Rather, this is what Jesus had in mind for the church right from the beginning. It was Jesus who gave us the gift of the church as a spiritual family when he said, For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. But what does it mean to be a spiritual family? Or, better yet, what kind of spiritual family should we be? I mentioned earlier that our text for today gives us a window into the heart and mind of Paul in prison, getting ready for the end of his life. And when we look into that window, we see Paul taking valuable time, to write to Timothy. And in verse one, Paul addresses Timothy as my child. Of all the things that could occupy Paul's heart and mind as he neared the end of his life, we are given a glimpse of where Paul turned his attention. He turned his attention to Timothy, his child. This is especially important to note because Timothy was not Paul's biological son. Instead, he was a young man in the church that Paul had noticed sought out, took under his wings, and discipled. Over the years, Paul cared for Timothy dearly like a father and took him on as a spiritual son. So the first thing I want to highlight from our text in verse 1 is that Paul treasured the gift that Jesus gave us, the gift of the church as spiritual family, and he put it into practice. And it was not only with Timothy that Paul saw himself as a spiritual parent. It was normal for Paul to have such a view towards those in the church. As I mentioned, Second Timothy was the last letter that Paul wrote, which we have in the New Testament. But even when we look at one of his first letters in the New Testament, a letter written to the church in Thessalonica, we see how even then Paul saw the believers in that church as his spiritual children. In 1 Thessalonians chapter two, verses seven to eight, Paul writes, "But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children." So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us." And again, in verses 11. To thirteen, For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. But there's more. Paul's other New Testament letters such as Colossians, Ephesians, 1 Corinthians, and Romans all reveal how Paul saw the church as spiritual family. This was the practical lens through which Paul saw the church. In light of all this and the things that we will look at further in a moment, the question I want us to consider is, do you really see Willingdon Church as your spiritual family? You see, we are a large church, and being large, there are many benefits, such as having good programs and events, lots of opportunities to learn, nice facilities, and a lot of resources. All of these are good, but because of these, I wonder if many of us have not considered the benefits of being a spiritual family. I mean, actually being a spiritual family, not just calling ourselves one. More specifically, let me ask each one of us this. Within Willingdon Church, are you yourself a spiritual father, a spiritual mother, spiritual grandfather, or grandmother, spiritual uncle, or, or spiritual aunt to someone? Before you answer that in your own minds, let me ask you in a slightly different way. Are there people at Willingdon Church who would say that they are your spiritual daughter, spiritual son, spiritual grandchildren, spiritual niece or nephew? Are there people you have noticed, sought out, took under your wings and discipled like Paul did with Timothy? If you can't answer yes to these questions, why not? Now, I know that we do have brothers and sisters at Willingdon who do actively disciple others. I know many of them, and I thank the Lord for you. I really do. But can you imagine with me what it would look like if, like the Apostle Paul, all of us at Willingdon treasure the gift of church as spiritual family and put it into practice? What would it look like if all of us had a spiritual son, daughter, a grandchild we were discipling? And if all of us had had spiritual parents or aunts and uncles that were discipling us? What an amazing gift that would be. The second thing I want to highlight from our text is that even to the very end, Paul was intentional as a discipler. After addressing Timothy as his child, Paul urges him in three specific matters in verses 1 to 3. Keep in mind how valuable these three matters must have been for Paul to take the time to instruct Timothy even as he anticipated the end of his own life. And so we also would do well to pay close attention to the heart of this lifelong discipler when considering what are things that are valuable to disciple people in. The first of the three matters Paul wanted to disciple Timothy in is found in verse one. He says, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Paul was the single most influential apostle in spreading the message of the gospel throughout the Roman Empire. And yet, a clear and crucial reality he came to understand of his own life was that none of what he had accomplished was because of his own strength. Rather, the source of strength he had in order to accomplish anything came by the Lord's grace. He did not stand strong in keeping the faith up to the end of his life because of a daily resolve to dig down deep and muster up his own strength or motivationally self-talk himself or will himself to victory. Rather, he was able to keep the faith because he turned to and depended on Jesus for strength daily. I remember when we had our firstborn, Elijah. I had the privilege of holding our newborn son in my arms alone for a couple of hours while my wife Sue was in the recovery room. I remember just staring at him and telling the Lord that we really need his grace. I was powerfully awakened to the fact that Sue and I were entrusted with this precious and fragile life. And I felt the weight of it all. In those early months, we prayed for the Lord's grace because we knew we needed it. And the Lord poured his grace on us as we were learning how to raise our baby. Learning how to feed him, change his diapers, clean him, understand his cries, enduring lack of sleep and rearranging our lives for him. But as time went on, we became better at it and confident in taking care of Elijah. It became easier and easier until we pretty much became pros. In fact, we even figured out how to be efficient with things and multitask. It's funny how when we become more self-reliant and feel like things are in control, we cry less and less out to Jesus for his grace. We began to operate out of our own strength, ability, and know-how rather than relying on him. That is, until we had to rush our fragile little son to the hospital because he was having trouble breathing and was starting to turn blue. At that moment, feeling powerless, we remembered that we needed the Lord's grace. The Apostle Paul wanted Timothy to know what Paul himself had come to know. Paul knew that with all the trials and hardships that come against a disciple of Jesus, Timothy must, must, must depend on the Lord daily for his strength in order to keep the faith and make it to the end. He had learned this directly from the Lord when Jesus told him, point blank in a vision, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And now he wanted to make sure that Timothy learned this from him. When we pour into a spiritual child, grandchild, or niece to disciple them, it's not about just hanging out with them and getting to know them, even though that is fun and important to do. Rather, it's about being intentional in helping them keep the faith. How vital do you think Paul thought it was that Timothy should grasp that he cannot keep the faith by his own strength, but that he needed to daily depend on Jesus for strength, It appears that for Paul, he would put it nearly at the top of his list. The second matter Paul wanted to disciple Timothy in is found in verse 2. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Here, Paul instructs Timothy to make disciples who make disciples. This is integral to the Christian life. At the end of his life, it was crucial to Paul that Timothy would pass on the message of the gospel in the manner that he himself passed it on. If you read this verse carefully, you will notice four generations of disciples carrying on the message of the gospel as it is being passed on from one generation to another. Paul, being the first generation, passed on the message to Timothy. Timothy, who was the second generation, was being instructed to entrust the message to faithful men. These faithful men were the third generation and were to then teach others also. And so these others would be the fourth generation. When giving an analogy of the Christian life, people will talk about whether it is more like a 100-meter race or a marathon race. Of course, people will make the point that the Christian life is more like a marathon, and that makes sense. It is like a long endurance run which requires perseverance through pain and suffering to make it to the end. But with what Paul is communicating in verse 2, it would be fitting to see a 4x100 race as a good analogy to the Christian life and ministry in this case. The successful passing on of the baton in 4x100 meter races. Is just as important as running your own 100 meter portion of the race well. If you run your best time in your 100 meter portion, but do not pass on the baton, it would result in a failure to finish the race. Paul knew that he was at the end of his 100 meter run in the 4x100 meter race, but just finishing his own 100 meter was not the mission he needed to make sure that he passed on his baton to Timothy and that the baton that Timothy would receive from Paul would be passed on to another well-trained runner who would also pass it on. As an intentional discipler, Paul emphasizes to Timothy that this must be done. As a young youth pastor, I had the privilege of seeing the baton being passed on in this way. When I was a youth, my youth pastor discipled me after our usual youth gatherings. After our weekly youth nights, he would drive many of us home who lived from Port Moody all the way to the West End in a church van. Do some of you remember those days of church vans? Our family lived in the West End, and so I was usually the last to be dropped off. And during those rides, when we were heading to my place my pastor had lots of time to ask me questions week after week and challenge me in my faith. He used those times to invest in me so that I would grow as a disciple. A decade later, I was a youth pastor, and I would regularly drive my youth home after our weekly youth nights, not with a church van this time. And James, one of my youth who lived furthest away in White Rock, was usually the last one to be dropped off. And during those rides, I found myself doing what was done to me when I was young. I used those weekly times to ask James questions and challenge him so that he would grow as a disciple. In the years to come, as he matured into a young adult, I watched him invest in kids as a Sunday school teacher. No, he didn't become a youth pastor, but he was a Sunday school teacher, and he discipled them to grow in their faith. He was a spiritual older brother to his students. When I look back at that time, I see a thread. My youth pastor passed the baton to me. I passed it on to James, and James passed it on to his students. A few years ago, James shared with me over a phone call how I had been a mentor to him. When he shared that with me, it warmed my heart. Paul knew that he would soon be with Jesus, But that wasn't enough. It was crucial to Paul that Timothy carried on the ministry of sharing the gospel and making disciples who make disciples. As a disciple of Jesus, are you passing on the baton to a spiritual child or grandchild? Or are you only concerned about running your own 100-meter portion of the 4 by 100 meter race? I want to encourage us all to be disciples who intentionally pass on the baton to others who will also pass on the baton. The final matter Paul wanted to disciple Timothy in is found in verse three. Share in the suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. As Paul suffered in prison for the sake of Christ, his heart still went out to Timothy. He wanted to make sure that Timothy understood that suffering is necessarily part of the Christian life and that he should not think otherwise. In chapter 1, Paul refers to others who had deserted Paul because he was in prison. Paul's concern was based in reality. During this time, persecution under Emperor Nero, whom Paul would later be executed under, was intensifying, and some Christians were afraid and some were ashamed. Timothy would have been disheartened that Paul, his spiritual father, was facing imminent death. And so, out of strong concern for his spiritual son, Paul felt it necessary to reinforce to Timothy that suffering and persecution was to be expected as a follower of Jesus, and he needed to prepare himself to share in it. Do you believe in a version of Christianity where we can follow Jesus without picking up our cross and without suffering for him? That version of Christianity does not exist in the Bible. Jesus himself was clear about this in John chapter 15, verse 20. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And in chapter 3 of Second Timothy, Paul is clear when he says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Paul knew that in order for Timothy to be able to finish his race, partaking in suffering for Christ was part of it. And so he was intentional about making this clear to Timothy. Calling disciples of Jesus to share in the suffering was relevant in Paul's day. It is also very relevant today as we face increasing opposition to the Bible, the God of the Bible, and the gospel of Jesus Christ in the political, social, and cultural landscape of this generation. I'm sure you've already felt this opposition, maybe even from family or friends. The way of Jesus is the way of suffering. And if we are going to follow Jesus, we must take up our cross and partake in suffering. So as we disciple those in our spiritual family, we must intentionally prepare them to expect suffering for Jesus and to enter into it, or they will not finish the race. This is what Paul was intentionally doing. And he provides three images to show how we are to join in suffering for Jesus. The image of the soldier to show us that following Jesus to the end takes sacrifice of being single-minded in service. The image of the athlete to show us that following Jesus to the end takes the sacrifice of strict discipline and integrity, and the image of the farmer to show us that following Jesus to the end takes the sacrifice of hard work. Now, in hearing all of this about treasuring spiritual family and putting it into practice and being an intentional discipler, some of us might be wondering, how can I be a spiritual parent or aunt or uncle? You might feel like you don't know too many people here at Willingdon, Or you might feel like the opposite of the sermon series subtitle is true. We are not a family, we are a crowd. I hope that's not how you feel. But let's be honest. It hasn't been easy for some of you to get to know others here. I get that. So to bring about changes to that, let me suggest three actions. First, that you take a little bit of initiative and get involved with the ministry that seeks to disciple others. Perhaps you could get involved with our kids' ministry or youth ministry, young adults' ministry, our special needs ministry, discovery ministry or men's or women's ministry, or join a life group. Second, when you get involved, do so with a determination to actually build relationships so that you can grow into becoming a spiritual parent or a grandparent, an aunt or an uncle to others. And thirdly, once you've built those relationships, be intentional, like Paul in discipling. As you get to know them, figure out what your spiritual child, grandchild, niece, or nephew needs in order to grow as a disciple of Jesus and be an example to them and guide them. Now, for those of us for whom Willingdon Church has been home for a long time, and you know many people and many families already, I'd encourage you to be determined to deepen some of those relationships to the next level. At Willingdon, we have many people in various circumstances that need spiritual family in their lives. Maybe adopt a family or two as a spiritual parent or a grandparent. Or we have single-parent families that need spiritual aunts and uncles, those with non-Christian parents who need spiritual parents, uh, young adults, singles who need spiritual uncles and aunts and grandparents in their lives to guide and direct them, just to name a few examples. So ask the Lord who you should adopt. But again, be intentional about how you will disciple them and what you will disciple them in. Enter into their world so that you gain an understanding of what they need to overcome and what they need to pursue to grow as a disciple and make it to the end. And once again, imagine what it would look like if all of us had a spiritual son, daughter, or grandchild we were discipling. And if all of us had spiritual parents or aunts and uncles that were discipling us here at Willingdon. What an amazing gift! that would be. Now, please take some time to reflect over the reflection questions.